come Holy Spirit. Today, God, we know that uh, this marks an important day in the history of the church. Pentecost, when you poured out your spirit as your first followers were uh, waiting for you to come. And so we ask in that vein that you would pour out your spirit on us this morning. Like tongues of fire, we ask that you would rest on us and reveal yourself to us, God, in all of your power and your love and for whatever we need in this season, for whatever we need in this time. Would you meet it? Would you speak into it? Would you direct and guide us? As I've been reflecting this week on Pentecost and what that means in this day, uh, I keep seeing the image of fire and it made me think of this quote that I'd love to read for you. Someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And then for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. Amen. Staff leaders of the church simply miss talking to people when we gather physically on Sunday. So if you send in short video questions, we will do our best to answer the most timely of them online. Our first question this week comes from Joanne. Hi, this is Joanne Chung. Jordan, I have a question. Now that the mayor is allowing churches to gather, I'm wondering when can we expect Blue Water to get together again at Palama and what would that look like? Thanks. Hey, thanks, Joanne. As you know, recent declarations from officials mean that churches can start meeting again. Uh, unfortunately, our landlord at Palama Settlement hasn't officially reopened our campus yet. We're talking to them about that. We uh, anticipate being able to regather somewhere in the neighborhood of three weeks' time. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, when we get together, we'll have to wear masks. We'll have to social distance. Seating arrangements will have to be different. We'll have hand sanitizer available and all of that stuff. And we'll be sending out specific instructions about all of that uh, in the days to come. Uh, so please sign up for our email newsletter if you're not signed up for that yet. Also, staff leaders are meeting with Ohana group leaders and, and, and other church leaders uh, this weekend. And one of the things we'll be talking about is how to reopen Ohana groups in the best way possible. I know that some groups are already starting to meet this week. Uh, so that's a happy thing and you can stay tuned about that as well. All the research indicates that most people have very little to fear from the virus directly and happily kids are in very little danger from the virus and for reasons that people don't quite understand yet, kids uh, don't seem to transmit the virus very well to other people so they're pretty safe as we gather. But we do need to be very mindful of the elderly going forward. Globally, 50, 40 to 50% of virus deaths happen to elderly people in nursing homes. Half of the deaths, which is just an amazing stat. Um, so, so going forward, one thing that we all have to consistently be thinking about is how best to protect the kapuna. Please keep that in your mind as we regather. Greetings, Jordan and my Blue Water family. My question concerns the murders of unarmed black men in the United States. I am horrified and ashamed by this. How can we as a community of faith respond to this injustice? 
Thanks, Jenny, for asking a question that's on a lot of our hearts this morning. Uh, you may well have seen the headlines. George Floyd, a, a black crime suspect in Minneapolis, died while being physically restrained by a white police officer there. And many think the officer's brutality was indicative of racism and large protests have gotten violent there. Uh, a white father and son in Georgia have been charged with murder for shooting an unarmed black jogger uh, named Ahmad Arbery uh, after pursuing and confronting him because he matched the appearance of a burglary suspect in their neighborhood. And local prosecutors were very slow to process the case, and many suspect the role of racism there as well. Tragic, heartbreaking stories, and so I think our first response should probably just to be sad, to grieve with those who, who grieve. And whatever the role of racism uh, has played in these specific instances of, of tragedy, these sorts of events highlight and exacerbate racial divides in certain communities uh, across our country uh, and divides that represent real pain. The question, as Jenny points out, is how should Jesus followers respond? And I don't know that I have an easy solution uh, but I know that our role is not the role of outrage or judgment. I know that our role is the role of compassion and healing and strengthening. Um, here's, here's something that I, I think about uh, a lot. You can attack racism by decrying how bad racists are, or you can attack racism by trying to make better people. Uh, and, and sin, we know, doesn't necessarily go away just by calling out sin. It turns out there's more to building a righteous person than just calling out sin. And if we're going to create people and communities who are loving and sensitive and patient and generous and, and humble and gentle and faithful and law-abiding and forgiving and all the other things, all the other virtues we're going to have to create to get past racism, and we can't just be protesters or complainers. We have to be builders. We have to bring the kingdom of heaven to people. And I see a lot of people who are ranting angrily, and I see a lot of people who are crying mournfully, which is entirely legitimate. But I see fewer people who really look and sound like Jesus in the midst of this, speaking about forgiveness, and modeling sacrifice and righteous living. And whatever, whatever his faults may have been, Martin Luther King preached peace and the value of personal cross-racial relationships. He preached rights without outrage. He preached virtue without virtue signaling. And I pray for more ministers like that. And, and I just really pray that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth. Hi, I'm Angie, and I would like to ask Pastor Jordan, uh, what do you think we should expect here in Hawaii um, as far as economic um, fallout or changes due to COVID-19 and the recent shutdown? And I also wanna ask as ministers, what do you think are the most effective things that we can do to offset these impacts in our local body and also in our communities? 
Thanks, Angie. I think the socioeconomic aftermath ain't going to be pretty, but it could be beautiful. Uh, Hawaii is going to be hit especially hard with unemployment because we're a tourism and travel-based industry. I think we're likely to see 30% unemployment for a good while. And since Hawaii is ranked the number one hardest place to make a living in America under normal circumstances, we'll probably see a lot of population draining the islands as people move to the mainland in search of better job prospects. Housing prices are like to drop. Rents will drop, which could be happy for some. But there will be a lot of changes. Now, I think the good news is that Hawaii has one of the safest environments on Earth. Uh, our warmth and our sunlight and our airy meeting spaces have all conspired to help keep the virus down, and they should probably help us going forward as well. If people can just get over the worst of the fear, then I think that we could get back to normal life in fairly short order. All the, re all the recent research indicates that there's no reason that schools shouldn't reopen on time. Workplaces and office spaces can reopen with all of the social distancing and hygiene precautions. But what can we do as a community of Christ in the aftermath? Well, I think number one, we can be unafraid because that's what the world needs most. I think number two, we can be materially generous. We can make a point to share what we have. We can open our homes to those who are displaced, which is something that Blue Water Christians tend to be very good at. I've been thinking about this idea a lot. You know how Christians traditionally tithe 10% of their income to the church in order to be financially faithful to God. Well, I think it would be great if Christians could intentionally set aside a portion of their resources and their time, say for the next six months, just for things that have to do with helping society heal from the virus shutdown. Just set aside a chunk of, of whatever you have and use it intentionally every day or every week to help people overcome to be kind to them, to care for them, and to share with them. It could even start some great conversations. You could say, hey, my faith community is doing a tithe to recovery. Is there any way that I can be of help to you today? You never know where that might go. Uh, but I think the point is our peace and our fearlessness and our confidence in a God who provides should make a great difference in the world. Welcome everybody to our virtual service. We're broadcasting from our office here at Palamas Settlement. Thank you for having us in your home. Uh, we know that people are joining us here on the island and internationally and the continental US. I've heard that people are watching from China, Connecticut, the UK. Um, did I hear Jamaica? Are we in Jamaica? I hope so. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> Well, we gather together because our God and our companions help us to grow in faith that we could not grow by ourselves. And we give to cultivate the kingdom of God in our communities and in our hearts. Jesus observes that where our treasure resides, so our heart resides. And may our hearts and communities grow in Jesus' love. And you can give in two ways, online, on our website or via post. Just send your checks to the office. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give this morning. As Jordan mentioned, we're talking to Palama about how and when to open up the gym for regathering. We're hoping that'll happen in a few weeks. 
But before we do, we're sending out instructions and protocols via the newsletters, Ohana groups, and we'll also update you here on our virtual services. And make sure you're signed up to the weekly newsletter blast so that we can keep you posted. Just sign up online, bluewatermission.org. All right, kids, stand up, let's pray for you. Oh, Father, we thank you for our children. They make a large part of our church and they bring a lot of joy. We pray that this summer would be the best summer of their lives. It was an interesting spring, uh, but Lord, we know that you have uh, many good things for them. Bless their time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The question is, if it were possible for you to become a powerful performer of miracles, I would be all over it if God gave me the gift of healing, because I've been asking for it for most of my life. Um, so... How committed would you be to pursuing that? It's not just a one-time thing. You have to work, work throughout it your whole life, and that's why I think, yeah, I would have to be very dedicated and passionate about it. What would you be willing to put into it? It's like the 100% lifestyle. It's not like something here and not something else outside. I think like full-time ministry is it's your lifetime. Like 100%. You know what you're about by how you behave when you feel most forsaken. Do you think that's true? How you behave when the chips are down. <clears throat> I think our reaction to trouble and tragedy is often more consequential than the trouble itself. It's about what you do with such things. Like the virus has been big trouble. Well, will we go forward in faith or will we go forward in fear? Turns out that's a very consequential question. A lot of us are newly unemployed out there because this is a trying economic time. Is that going to be a life-destroying thing? Well, it depends on what you do next, on how you cooperate with the Lord, the provider, moving forward. Are you lonely? Are you frustrated? Are you betrayed? Well, if you feel that way, that's awful. Um, but it also might be an occasion for a great miracle. Um, not to make light of anyone's trouble or heartache, but Jesus said in this world, you will have trials and tribulation, fear not. I have overcome the world. And, and part of fearing not for us, uh, uh, us Jesus followers, means to go forward in faith no matter what your circumstance is. And faith always means ministry. If you're a person of faith, it means that you're trying to shine your light. You're trying to be salt in the world. You're trying to minister the kingdom to those around you. Faith always means that, at least according to Christ. We are not just hanging on in life. We are never just hanging on. We're trying to make a difference to those around us. No matter what, keep your light shining. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, traditionally, it's the day that the worldwide church celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural empowerment of Jesus' followers for ministry. Uh, the question about uh, 
How I'm willing to commit to be a miracle worker often boils down to under what conditions would I be willing to be a miracle worker? I have discovered that our greatest ministry often happens in the seasons of our greatest troubles, or at least that's how it seems to me. And one truism I've learned is that uh, you'll have enough faith to do miracles if you're the sort of person who can have faith no matter what your circumstances are. You'll have faith to be a miracle worker if you're the sort of person who can have faith no matter what your circumstances are. Do you think that's true? I have discovered that to be a powerful, practical truth in my life. Uh, time and again, it seems that uh, the most fruitful seasons of my life are situated in very troublesome seasons of my life. One season that I talk about a lot, the season in my mid, late 20s, early 30s, when I was in grad school and I was going through a very severe case of depression, uh, that was provoked by some very troubling practical circumstances as well. Sony and I were having some income issues, some employment issues. Uh, my career was, uh, was kind of fizzling. My academic career, things weren't going well. I got savagely depressed. So we started a Bible study in our living room that grew and became a church plant. Can you plant a church when you are near suicidally depressed? Yes or no? Well, I mean, it turns out the answer is yes, evidently. It may not be the right way to do things, but it is an effective way to do things. And the faith it takes to survive intact and troubling seasons is, is faith, you know? And it's, it's faith to do miracles as well. It's the same sort of thing. Well, we're exploring that sort of issue in our passage from the book of Acts this morning. We are in a sermon series on the book of Acts. We have gotten all the way to chapter 8 already, and we will be reading selections from chapter 8. This is a story about a guy named Philip. Uh, not Philip, uh, one of the apostles, but Philip, who was an elder of the church, one of the people that served practically in food distribution in the church in Jerusalem. And what's happened to the church at this point in history is that some persecution in Jerusalem has broken out against it. In last week's sermon, we began to read about that. We read about the first martyr, a guy named Stephen, and about the role that this young man named Saul played in the murder of Stephen. And we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter eight in the book of Acts and verse one says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death, giving approval to Stephen's death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Women too. Nobody gets spared. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. Well, if you see a guy performing a lot of miracles, you might pay attention to what he said. 
With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip, fleeing persecution, ends up in a city of Samaria. He does a bunch of miracles, and he preaches the word. Picking it up a little later in verse 14 in the chapter, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Peter and John, the chief apostles. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had received a water baptism, but they haven't been, hadn't been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet as uh, the Jerusalem church had beginning in Acts chapter 2. When Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Skipping down and finishing off this segment with verse 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages, preaching the gospel in different villages as they went back to Jerusalem. So persecution has broken out against the Christian church in Jerusalem, which is the only place there is a Christian church at this moment in history. And the persecution was forceful and terrifying. It was led by this young man named Saul, who would become very famous in the Christian church. Right now, Saul is basically, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hunter. Uh, he's a zealot against Christians uh, he's seeing them get in prison. He's going house to house and dragging Christians out. It makes a point to say that he's dragging out men and women, which would have been very unusual. So uh, the hunt for Christians is destroying entire families and wiping out entire families. I mean, it is a terrifying time, um, this campaign against Christians. The Christians had been riding high in Jerusalem. Uh, the apostles were performing many miracles. The elders were performing mir many miracles. We read about people were coming to faith by the thousands. So it was a great fruitful time. And then the persecution starts ramping up. Now it's just wholesale persecution and murder of Christians in Jerusalem. So Philip, one of the elders, a, a fairly prominent sub-leader in the church, he takes off. He flees from the persecution and he ends up in Samaria. Uh, presumably, Philip went to Samaria because good Jews would not go to Samaria. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were ethnically Jewish people who had married into some of the uh, surrounding cultures and tribes, and uh, their worship of the one true God had been adulterated through pagan practices and mixed theologies and stuff like that. So the Jews really looked down on the Samaritans. Samaritans, they're often called in scripture. And so Philip went there probably thinking that no reputable Jewish official would chase him into that dirty territory. So in that sense, he was pretty smart. Um, and Philip apparently went alone. He's scattered. Um, apparently he's there alone because Luke has a tendency to name people on the team if it's a ministry team and nobody else gets named where Philip is concerned. Uh, he just takes off. Uh, maybe he, I don't know, grabs a few possessions on the way. We don't know. But his situation is not good. It had to be very tough for Philip 
right now. His entire life had been turned upside down. Uh, he was wanted for jail and probably death, which is not a happy situation for him to be in. On top of that, he was probably broke. He was homeless. He couldn't go back to his country or his friends. He might have been feeling a little bit forsaken. Justifiably, he could have felt forsaken by God. Just think about what his situation must have been. And he arrives in this foreign city surrounded by people who are disreputable in the eyes of Jews, and he immediately goes to work. The guy throws down and he starts doing a lot of very bold ministry in the midst of his trouble. And that's it. That's pretty much the sermon. You really don't need uh, to listen anymore. That's the point. Uh, in really troubling times, the most important thing is just to go to work, just to do kingdom ministry. And somehow fruitfulness emerges out of these troubling times. That's the model. Always let your light shine no matter what. And we get a powerful story about it here in the story of Philip. He has lost everything. He has lost everyone. So he ministers. He pursues his kingdom purpose. The thing he does is the kingdom thing. And he does it with great power. Right? He doesn't just share about his Jesus experience experiences. The dude starts doing miracles. He casts out demons. He heals many paralytics and crippled people, it says in the story. And he evidently preached the word because it says that the city came to believe the word of God. He must have been moving in great faith at the time because we know that it takes faith to do miracles and the guy is doing great miracles. Um, his circumstances might well have challenged his faith but he chose faith, and apparently great faith. I think the moral of the story is never just seek security. Always be seeking fruitfulness in life as well. He could have been excused for just seeking safety, just seeking a way to survive, but he didn't do that. He never did just that. He pursued kingdom ministry simultaneously. Uh, and, and if you can do that in life, if you can do that in life, you will always see some kind of fruitfulness emerge in your life, some sort of kingdom fruitfulness. How would you characterize Philip's attitude? What kind of attitude does it take to be a guy like that? I think probably Philip had been conditioned to take Jesus at his word. Uh, Jesus often spoke about suffering, how his followers would suffer. Philip had been practicing sacrifice as an elder of the church. He had been sharing his life generously with people. Uh, and he knew enough that uh, he knew that when you take a hit, when you get tired, you do exactly what you're trained to do. You do exactly what you're conditioned to do. And Philip had been conditioned to sacrifice and to serve and to minister. And so, you know, he just was who he was, even though his circumstances were topsy-turvy. In this life, harvest only happens in the midst of other stuff. In this life, ministry 
only happens in the midst of other stuff. There's never a time in life that is just blank of trouble. There's never a time of life that is just empty of chaos. If you're going to be a harvester, if you're going to be a minister, you're going to have to do it in the midst of the chaos of life. And sometimes that chaos will seem overwhelming. Be who you are anyway. Pursue fruitfulness. Be caring, be loving, do outreach, take care of people, be generous, be sacrificial. It's who you are. And who you are is who you are whenever. It's who you are even if you feel forsaken. And Philip harvested, man. He harvested pretty much an entire city, we are led to believe. And he harvested impressively, doing lots of miracles. Though he was probably grief-stricken himself, it says that he produced great joy in that city. He produced citywide joy, even though he justifiably could have been very depressed. I think there's an additional point in this story that we probably shouldn't gloss over since this is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural empowerment of Jesus' followers for purpose of ministry. It's just worth noting that this is a very supernatural story and it involves the sharing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, people need that, right? They don't just need to believe in Jesus. They need power from the Spirit in order that they might follow the Jesus, follow Jesus and, and spread the kingdom. Supernatural power, it turns out, is a big deal for lots of reasons. One thing I think we need to take note of in the story um, that is that Philip had confidence in the miraculous power of God, even though he could have argued that God had abandoned him and those he loved. Persecution had broken out. The Jerusalem church had been scattered. It seems that things had fallen apart, but Philip still believed in miracles. He still evidently believed that God was with him, even though um, chaos was overwhelming uh, the church uh, at the time. And, and that's just not a small detail. He believed that God was present and supernaturally present, even though one segment of his life didn't show much evidence of it. And he wielded that confidence uh, to great effect with great boldness. I think the second thing to notice is that miracles are kind of a door opener. If you can cast out demons, if you can heal people, then you're probably gonna have some interesting conversations. And, and apparently that's exactly what Philip did. We don't get to see him in action. We don't get an example of what he did, but he said that he just went around and cast out a bunch of demons and healed a bunch of sick people. I think you find demonic oppression, you find sickness almost anywhere you go. And so if you are supernaturally equipped to contend against that, it turns out that you can pretty much go anywhere. And I think that's why Christians make a big deal about the filling of the Holy Spirit, about being willing to let God be supernatural in your life and in your work. And this story is a great celebration of that. There's a little sub story within the story. Uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem hear that Samaria accepted the word of God, that Samaritans had become Christians, right? 
they sent Peter and John to them. They dispatched Peter and John, the chief apostles in Jerusalem, who evidently had had uh, been spared the persecution. The officials aren't going to jail the, the biggest stars of the church for fear of rebellion or something. So Peter and John are evidently safe. Uh, but when they hear that Samaria had received the word of God, Peter and John are dispatched to go check it out. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So let me uh, explain this if you're not clued in on what is going on here. Um, throughout the history of the early church, uh, when somebody uh, became a follower of Jesus, when somebody believed, the next question they were asked, or the next thing that they, they went through was what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Typically, some elder of the church would lay hands on them and pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God in the here and now, the presence of the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, or sometimes the word baptize them is used. Baptism just means dousing. So it was the dousing of the, of the Spirit of God in the here and now. And it was believed, it was explained by Jesus, that the filling of God's presence into you, the dousing of the Holy Spirit, uh, was empowering for ministry. It gave you supernatural power to do extraordinary things like casting out demons, for instance, or healing people, or as we read in Acts chapter four, to preach with uncharacteristic boldness, to be more than you are, or you might say, to be all that God has designed you to be in the world, to walk in the miraculous, to be a miracle worker when you need miracles. And so what has happened in, in this city, in Samaria, is that they have converted to Christ. The Samaritans are believing in Jesus. So, so they're Christians now. But I think that gave some of the Jewish leaders in the Jerusalem church pause. It's like, wait a minute, can Samaritans be Jesus followers? Samaritans are spiritually corrupt people. We don't know about this. At this point in history, the Jewish Christians pretty much believed that the kingdom of God was just for Jews. And, and they hadn't come to the realization yet that the kingdom of God was for all people, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their background. And so they're disturbed. And so they dispatched their chief authorities. They, they dispatched Peter and John to go check it out. And Peter and John arrive in the city. They see what Philip has accomplished. They chat with Philip. They probably see all the miracles that are happening in the street, and they decide, huh, I guess it's for real. I guess Samaritans can be Jesus followers. Well, we have to fill them with the Holy Spirit then. I mean, if they're going to follow Jesus, they got to be filled with supernatural power. Otherwise, they won't last very long. They won't be able to spread the kingdom well. And so Peter and John proceeded to lay hands on all of Samaritan believers and to fill them uh, share with them on the power of the presence of God so that they too could do supernatural things. Um, it's like the leaders of the church weren't willing to share the presence of the Holy Spirit until they had figured it out, which is kind of funny. It's almost a little bit comical. But what could Peter and John do? The evidence of the work of Christ was there right before them. And so 
so they do uh, what is appropriate. They, uh, they see that the new believers get supernatural power for ministry. Jesus described the baptism of the Holy Spirit this way. He said, uh, in a few days, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This story is fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus himself gave in Acts chapter one. Peter and John had their doubts, but on seeing the evidence, on seeing the activity of the Holy Spirit in works of power, they had no choice. They laid hands, they shared the baptism of the Spirit. They renewed Pentecost upon these new believers. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. This sort of pattern will repeat throughout the book of Acts. The Christian leaders, it seemed, were always playing catch up with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would, would empower miracles in the streets of Samaria Peter and John, having not expected such a thing, would show up and be like, well, looks like God is here already. We better you know, fill people with the power of his presence. What happened again in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is pretty much forced by God to take the gospel message to a bunch of Romans of all people. And so it would continue. The Holy Spirit is always a step ahead of the Christian ministers, which means this. It means that the story of the church, the story of God's people in the world, uh, usually goes something like, like this. God does something or God says something and people respond. God does something else and his people respond. You have to be open to God doing something in the here and now. You have to be open to God saying something in the here and now. And then the Christian life is responding to those things that God does around you. All of the great stories of the Bible are like that. God says something or does something, and then somebody responds in a way that becomes an epic story. And that should be true of your life as well. Amen, guys? Amen. So I think the summary of, of this little episode is uh, preach the message wherever you are, do miracles wherever you can and keep it up no matter what. Amen. The end. Be who you are in Christ, moving in the power of the Spirit, no matter what your circumstance is. Like I said at the beginning, you know what you're about by how you behave when you feel most forsaken. You know what you're about in the seasons in which you feel most troubled. When the worst happens, the best thing that you can do is the kingdom thing. I'll say that again. When the worst happens, the best thing that you can do is the kingdom thing. When life gets tough, the best thing you can do is to minister the kingdom of God to the world around you. Because in your purpose lies your power. In your kingdom purpose lies your power. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, and then all these other things will be added unto you. You have to be on point. You have to be on the job. You have to honor your kingdom calling, your ministry calling, and then things tend to find their order. Doors tend to open. Conversations tend to happen. 
provided that you're doing the kingdom thing around you. I know it's been tough for a lot of us, and for many it's about to get tougher because the aftermath of the virus shutdown and the quarantining uh, is about to get real for a lot of people. You know, we'll discover that, wow, we're out of money. We're out of a job. Um, we might be displaced. How are we gonna pay our rent? Uh, where are we gonna go? Um, stuff like that. Uh, the losses of the shutdown are, are about to become manifest uh, for many people for many of our people and for many people in our wider islands community. And I think the wisdom of the book of Acts says, never just seek security. Never just seek safety. Always also seek fruitfulness. Always seek the kingdom thing. Seek it first. And then the other good things you need will happen from there. Seek first the kingdom and all else will be added to you. Think first about your personal ministry, about whether you are bringing light and love, the power of God to the people around you. Think about that first. Think about your service, about staying connected to your community of faith. Make that an absolute priority. Put the kingdom first. Think about gathering people into your community of faith, into your church, into your Ohana group. Because people need that right now. And people need that faith. People need that love. People need that care. And then if we pull that off, I have it on good authority that there will be great joy in our city. Let's pray. As we celebrate Pentecost, Lord, I pray for a renewal of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. At bottom, Lord, uh, we just want to be with you. We want your presence. We want the power, the transformative power of your presence in our lives. And we honor that, Lord, by seeking the kingdom first. We seek to be kingdom people in our circumstance, no matter how dire our circumstances might be, no matter how troubled we are by the situations of life, by our setbacks, by our disappointments, we resolve first to be light. We resolve first to share the love of God. We resolve confidently to move in the power of God. We commit ourselves to be the manifest generosity of God in the world around us. We pray for boldness that we might end with good stories to tell. In Jesus' name. Let's check in with the prophetic elders of our church and see if any of them have received a specific word for some listener this weekend. Hi, my name is Jason. I've been going to Blue Water for many years now. Uh, sometimes during our Sunday services, God will give me a word of encouragement to share with someone else as a way to bless them uh, and also as a way to say, hey, God still speaks to us today. 
on Friday uh, morning during my quiet time with the Lord. I felt like I had a word of encouragement for a gentleman uh, who played baseball during college. Uh, you currently have a new job, just got it, or you're in the interview process uh, for this new job. I felt like uh, the thing that God wanted to encourage you with uh, was that he is going to use you to be a builder uh, in this upcoming season. Uh, the image I had was of a kid playing with Legos and you were taking or this kid was taking a brick here and then moving it here. And I felt like what God was saying to that is that in this new job, you'll need to step a little bit outside of your comfort zone and that's okay. Uh, that it's okay to explore, it's okay to rearrange things and fine tune things as you go along. That's all part of your learning process. Uh, I feel like the word of encouragement for this season uh, or in this time though, uh, is that as you're going through this learning process, uh, to remember to give grace for yourself. And you can put that into practice uh, by giving grace uh, to those around you, by forgiving quickly uh, and also listening well. Uh, and creating space for other people uh, to encounter uh, grace and forgiveness. And uh, that as you kind of give those things out, uh, you'll also remember to have it for yourself. I hope if that word resonates with you, it would be a blessing for you uh, and that if God would use it uh, to build kingdom fruit 30, 60, 100 times. I uh, hope you have a good week, God bless. Hey there, awesome family. It's terrific to have you with us today. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't know God well, I'm not close to him, but. What matters most is that he knows you and he loves you deeply just as you are. So if you'd like someone to pray with you for a specific need, or maybe you just want to experience the love and grace of Jesus, our prayer team wants to serve you. Please email julie at bluewatermission.org, include your name and your phone number, and you'll get a call back between 10.30 and 11 today. Now I wanna encourage us as we say goodbye, especially because it's been a heartbreaking week for a lot of us, for personal reasons, for national reasons. And yet as Jordan just taught about, it's often in the very midst of terrific loss that life-saving faith takes root and spreads. Philip showed us just that. But one thing that helps me with the heartbreak is to pour my messy grief out to God in secret, on my knees, in the car, in the bathroom, wherever, and to let it run until it gets cleaner. And then I try to give that up to God so I can keep doing the right things, the things that build life. Now this beautiful painting behind me, I want to show it to you. It was created for me a few years ago by my awesome niece, Maymay, and it came with a prophetic word. She said to me, Auntie Sonia, God sees your tears and they're precious to him. He's holding onto them for you like in this bag. Psalm 56, eight says the same. You keep track of all my sorrows. You collected all my tears in your bottle and you've recorded each one in your book. So today I bless you to give your heart burden safely to the only one who can hold them, love them and sort them. And I bless you to boldly love and serve the people around you this week from the centered place of faith and to see miracles that change lives, even your own. Hey, we love you guys. Be filled with the love of Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, we'll see you soon. Take care.